welcome to the Tech Done Right podcast, Table XI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. If you like the podcast and would like to encourage us to continue, please follow us on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right and leave a review on iTunes. iTunes reviews really do help new listeners find our show and thank you in advance. Today on Tech Done Right, we're going to be talking about software, open source, community, anti-harassment tools with Coraline Ada Emke and Yana Karstens. Uh, Coraline, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm an open source advocate. I've been developing web applications for over 20 years, which sounds really weird to say. I was a recipient of the Ruby Hero Award last year for my work in diversity and open source. I'm probably best known for the creation of the Contributor Covenant, which is the most popular open source code of conduct in the world, with over 15,000 adoptions, including JRuby, Swift, F-Sharp, and Rails. I'm a founding panelist on another podcast called Greater Than Code, and currently I'm working at GitHub as a senior engineer on a team devoted to creating community management and anti-harassment tools. In my free time, I pursue my interest in AI and refactoring and music production. Right, you just released an EP, didn't you? I released an EP in, in December, yeah. It's called Tender, and the name I record under is A Little Fire Scarecrow. <laughs> Okay, I knew about the EP, but I don't think I knew about the name. Yeah. So, Yana, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Noel. Nice to meet you, Coraline. So, I'm Yana Karstens. I'm a senior user experience designer with Table XI. And what, uh, I have been in the industry, in the UX industry, for about 10 years now. I come actually from a uh, international finance background and... Um, got into design a little later in life and can't imagine myself doing anything else. But what uh, I focus on uh, and what, what user experience brings to engineering is that perspective from the end user. So when we build software, we ensure that we don't just build features, but actually create things, create software that people, that humans really enjoy using and that it solves uh, their innermost problems. So it's a pretty neat team to be on at TableXI. Uh, lots of wicked, smart, and talented people, and I'm super happy to be part of it. Great. Thanks, Coraline. The scary thing about you saying that you have 20 years of software design is I am pretty sure that I'm actually <laughs> older than you are. And that's kind of, that's disturbing to me. I'm 30, so. <laughs> we all start young in this Yeah, <laughs> very young. So Coraline, uh, I wanted to start by, so you have for the past year or so been working on GitHub's community management and anti-harassment tools. Tell me what kinds of things that you work on. What what are the, what was the first thing? What was the first thing that your team was able to roll out? Sure. It was actually pretty satisfying for me. A couple of years ago, someone on GitHub created about a dozen repositories with racial slurs as names. And GitHub does not do active policing of repositories, despite what some sort of fringe elements like to think. So it wasn't until those repos were reported that the terms of service team even knew that they existed. And what had happened with these repos was that my name was added as an owner, as a collaborator on these repos. So for two or three days, I actually had racist slurs on my public GitHub profile. Mm -hmm. So when I joined the community and safety team, the first feature that I rolled out was an invitation model so that rather than being added to a repository without your consent, 
you would get an invitation to that repository and you could accept it or decline it or even report the inviter as a nefarious agent and block them and sort of flag them for the terms of service team to investigate. It was really satisfying to know that I'd closed down a harassment vector that had been used against me and the feeling that knowing that no one else would be harassed in that particular way was very satisfying. Yeah, I can imagine. I want so there's a couple of things that I want to talk about here. First of all, one of the things that occurs to me is that that like in order to see that even as a vector for harassment, you almost have to approach the problem in the same way that a security research researcher would, like to think about really the the cracks and the weak spots in the system. Is that kind of how your team approaches it? What do you see the problem that your team is trying to solve overall? Well, I should point out that the team is predominantly women and women on the internet who have opinions make targets of themselves. So the majority of the team that I'm on has experienced abuse and harassment on a variety of internet platforms, strange enough, including GitHub. So we have that sort of privacy and security mindset right from the get-go, which I think lets us more instinctively sort of identify, hey, this feature is a potential harassment vector. It's interesting that you mentioned security because the way my team is positioned within the organizational hierarchy, we are separate from the product group. So we're actually in the same bucket as security and infrastructure because GitHub is prioritizing user safety at the same level as application security. Um, they take it that seriously. And um, another interesting thing that my team has been increasingly doing is consulting with other groups within the engineering team on evaluating whether features that they are developing or planning introduce new harassment factors. So we, we also play that consulting role. I mean, we're engineers first and we're working through like a backlog of some bad choices that GitHub has made in the past that have opened up these sort of vulnerabilities and working on new tools. But we also consult with other groups to make sure that we're not introducing additional harassment factors. So is your group primarily trying to cover things on the backend application side to prevent certain activities or add certain hooks for invitation and blocking and things like that? And to, or to what extent do you guys work on the user-facing part of the of the application to affect how people interact with the system on the client side? Well, I think um, this probably touches on something that Yana mentioned. There's no point in having a safety feature, an anti-harassment feature, or a community management feature that, A, people don't know about because it's not visible in the interface or it's hidden in the interface, or that, B, is unusable. So we actually have a dedicated UI UX person on our team who is always involved early on in feature development and then throughout the engineering process of actually rolling the feature out to make sure that what we're building is going to be of maximum utility to our end users. So Yana, maybe you can comment on what kinds of things that you would try and do in that situation to improve the user experience. How would you approach this as a design problem? You know, what, what sort of issues would you be concerned with in terms of the, the user experience part of this? 
how I would approach it, and, and now listening to you, Coraline, and by the way, what a horrific experience this must have been for you. I'm completely shocked that, that that's even like happening. But knowing that it is happening and it is a huge problem, like how would I try and tackle this? So as somebody who's uh, an outsider looking in, so if I was, let's say, hired on this project to help you and your folks uh, solve this problem, I really would like to, A, expose myself to the problem myself. Okay, what does it really feel like to experience this? I'm not on GitHub as much as most of the developers are. Uh, I am part of other social medias, social media platforms, but I don't contribute as much and I don't expose myself enough out there to actually be the recipient of this kind of harassment. So I honestly don't know what it actually feels like to be so readily exposed to this. So I really would like to put myself into that spot to really understand what it what it's like, first of all. So having that hands-on experience from like a first-person perspective would really be key for me to re- before any solutioning of any type really happens. Also, talking to people who have been, you know, doing interviews and, and really surrounding myself uh, with people who have been exposed to harassment and when did it occur? Like, what impact does it really have on that person? Because right off the bat, I know for a fact we're all, we all have different tolerances for any type of harassment. So what impacts you, Noel and Coraline, in, in a negative way may have even more of an impact on me, for example. So I really would like to understand like what impact and like in what ends of the spectrum are we really dealing with. But then also like where, as we're using GitHub, for example, like where are all of the opportunities where harassment can occur? Is it in comments? Is it, like you said, Coraline, where somebody uh, created a depository and added you as a collaborator? Like what are all of the gaps in the system? What, where are all of the touch points in the system where something like this may happen and really start working backwards from that point? But also going back to understanding the user, it's one thing to put myself in that situation, but also understanding like all these different perspectives and what is it that you personally, Coraline, would want to see? What would Noel want to see in that situation? So really getting myself surrounded with people who can give me different perspectives on the impact it has on them. And also, what are some ideas? Like once you're in a situation, you uh, a lot of times we need to experience something really to come up with solutions for something versus, you know, just thinking of it. So really putting myself into that user's perspective would really be step one before we move to anything else. So um, my team does many summits twice a year where everyone on the team travels to a city where none of us work. And we get an Airbnb and we spend three or five days sort of ideating about what we want to do. And Kat, who's our UX person, brought an interesting tool to bear for us to better understand and to sort of get into that headspace that Yana was mentioning where we develop personas. And personas my understanding is that they're a standard tool in UI and UX, but we never thought of them or we don't usually think of them from an engineering perspective. So we identified different kinds of victims and different kinds of harassers. Some harassers are just people who are having a bad day and are sort of lashing out. Other people are trolls or serial harassers or people who have 
a vendetta against an individual or an organization. So that, like, trying to understand both perspectives, both, like, the resilient person who is experiencing some harassment, which is, you know, just an irritation versus a victim of harassment that's actually going to be driven off the platform. And understanding those perspectives and those needs are really, really important. That's interesting from a user experience perspective. You have this situation where you're trying to make uh, – it's a little bit contrary to a, like a, a traditional user experience design because you're trying to make one class of user's experience better and you're trying to make another class of user's experience worse. Like there are actions that you are actually trying to make harder for your troll harassing class of users. Yeah, we, ge- we generally call them jerk faces. That's our <laughs> internal sort of term for them. And there are different kinds of jerk faces, like people having a bad day or people who are angry about something. And yeah, the idea is to introduce friction to discourage behavior that is not contributing to a positive experience on the platform. And that's very interesting. And I'm glad that you pointed it out. Like you, you have put yourselves into the perspectives of all of these victim types and like where they fall on the spectrum. And then also you have identified harassers, you know, there's some trolls who are serial harassers, and then there's just some people who are having a bad day. And that really does play a significant role in like how you will actually execute and how do you make the experience, how do you not let one group of the personas make it bad for the victims, like how, where is that balance? And definitely developing personas and empathizing even like with the trolls goes a long way. Not saying, hey, it's okay what you do, not, not, not that kind of empathy, but really understanding when they would want to lash out and why helps you identify those points, those opportunities where harassment can occur. And it's really powerful. Yeah. And the exercise we did, we each took on a role and we made a visual chart um, that indicated like what would satisfy this particular persona, what is the end goal that they're trying to achieve, and what would make it easy and what would make it hard for them to achieve that goal, regardless of whether that goal was harassment or if that goal was safety. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped a lot because, like to your point, we don't want to empathize with a harasser, but we want to understand their motivations. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's an interesting design tool in general. I think we often think about what would make something easy when we talk about product design in general. I think in a lot of cases, it is useful to think about what might get in the way and make something hard for a user. Even if you're trying to make things easy for that user, um, thinking about what might get in their way is an interesting exercise, I think, too. What's something, Coraline, that you added to GitHub specifically to throw friction in to a jerk face, if I may use your term of art? I should point out that a lot of the work that my team has been prioritizing, my team is only not quite a year old at this point. A lot of work that we're doing is sort of, there's a backlog of features that were not created with these sort of perspectives in mind. And so we're spending quite a bit of time sort of backfilling some gaps and trying to make this, like close those holes. Kind of technical debt. Yeah, it is a form of technical debt. While at the same time, we're ideating new features. So I would say um, the significant things we've done so far are the repository invitations, as I mentioned. Also, until I started on this team, I had no idea that it was possible to block 
another user on GitHub. It was hidden behind a gear icon on their profile page. I had no idea until this very moment. Yeah, and that's pretty powerful. But that block functionality is sort of flawed because there's still places where you can see their activity and still places where they can kind of inject themselves into your workflow. So a lot of what we're doing like today is trying to be really much more consistent about how the block functionality works right now. So I know I, th- I feel like social networks, a lot of social networks have problems with block functionality, not actually really blocking. Twitter is notorious for that. Is it a case of blocking just being much harder than it appears from the outside? Or is it a case of like, if you approach this sort of lazily, uh, you just miss stuff? I think if you didn't think of it as one of your core features, as a core security, personal privacy, anti-harassment tool, and you try and bolt it on after the fact. It's just that there are so many places in the code that you have to touch to make it effective that, you know, there are tentacles running throughout the, uh, throughout the entire code base and it can be really hard to chase them all down. Uh, would those be Octocat tentacles? In the, in the case of <laughs> sure. That would be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I guess then, then like any place that you're choosing to display any, you, you have to make that check any place that you're displaying a user, a, you know, a, a separate, a different user to me in context, I guess in the same. Yeah. There's so many places where user data is displayed, having to add those checks everywhere. It's a little bit expensive, um, from a performance standpoint. So we've done some work to optimize the backend to make that a little easier and sort of consolidate where that data lives and introducing some sort of generic utility functions to say, you know, should this content be visible to the current user? And again, that starts to feel like a security. Are you authorized to display in this space? Nice to me, yeah. That's exactly right. And um, we had a similar situation with users that have been marked spammy because if a, if a user is spammy, we don't want anyone to see their content. And so those two ideas kind of went hand in hand. And the way we modeled them in the GitHub code base, we made them, you know, related utilities. So there were just different methods. And we basically have like a visibility model that we can use to check, you know, all of the conditions under which content should be visible or, or hidden. Yeah, I can see where that would get expensive, though, if, especially if it had been not conceived as sort of a, a core part of the feature. Yeah, there was a lot of refactoring that went into into that, and we're still and we're still iterating on that and trying to make that a little bit more robust. So, what kinds of things do you come up with in your ideation, like after you eventually make it through the backlog? Like, what sort of things are you hoping to do? A couple of things that really interest me. There's actually been some research on how people respond to real-time feedback when they're leaving a comment or opening an issue. And that is if you remind them that they should be polite and constructive, it has a measurable statistical effect on the tone of the content that they're adding to an issue or a comment. So one of the things that we've been kind of talking about is doing some real-time sentiment analysis. So as a person is typing a comment, 
we might pop up a little help message that says, be sure to be constructive in comments on someone, um, on comments in a code review. Sentiment analysis is a far from perfect science. So we're never going to be in a position where we're going to block someone or, or flag content that's inappropriate because the context matters. There's a, uh, there's a tool that's being developed now. I can't remember the name of it. It's a, uh, a library for doing sentiment analysis. And, um, we were testing it out with various comments. And one of the comments that I tried out was, that's fucked up. I'm so sorry. And it came up with a 92% certainty that it was a toxic comment. So, you know, context is everything and these automated systems are far from perfect. So we want to, you know, we're, we're considering using something like that just to show a gentle reminder and not like not stop someone from making a comment, but rather, you know, give them a, a gentle nudge to say, you know, you might want to think twice about what you're writing. I remember like way the heck long time ago, probably 20 years ago, Eudora, which at the time was the Mac email client in like the system seven era, uh, had a feature where it would in the corner of your email composition box, like chili peppers would show up as it, it was doing a, a pretty primitive form of sentiment analysis. But as it discovered, as it decided that your rhetoric was getting more heated, you would get more chili peppers. And it was that kind of same thing. It was just sort of a subtle reminder that, Hey, this, uh, this may not be a, a professional email. <laughs> Yeah, and those things are surprisingly effective. I was kind of skeptical, but you know, some research was brought to my attention, and apparently that does have an impact. And that's you know not trivial to implement, but it could have a, a really net positive effect on community interactions, right? I've definitely worked on sites that have tried to do this, like that they try to block comments or things like that because they're trying to get a certain kind of language or something like that. And there will be a, you know the the text file that has the list of all the words that are forbidden. Yeah. Uh, which is a really fun to see what people have decided to put in there and B like never quite works the way you want. It's always over blocking or under blocking. Yeah. And so much of that is contextual, like a lot of internet filtering software that is used in schools or that parents impose on their children can prevent access to things like, you know, sex education websites because certain terms are used in a different context. And block lists are, are not contextual. Going down the rabbit hole of content filtering software in a school situation, uh, I can just scream about that for a really long time. I yeah, definitely. Super heavily. And Coraline, are you so, you know, tools that are testing for context or reminding uh, people as they're commenting to be polite and constructive, is that a possible solution for the bad day kind of a harasser? That's the hope. That's more targeting that kind of person. And it's not really introducing friction so much as a nudge in the right direction, right? Our product manager actually came up with a, a little diagram that's really interesting and, and sort of informs what we do. Um, so it's a line with arrows on, on both sides. And we have on the right-hand side, destructive behavior. And that runs the gamut to anything that, that can lead to someone having a negative experience. And in the middle, we have constructive behavior, which is behavior that contributes to people having an okay experience. And then on the far left, we have behavior that actively encourages good citizenship. So we don't want neutral users 
we want users who are actively working to make the experience of the people that they're interacting with positive, not just like, oh, this person isn't bad, but oh, this person is like actually really good and really helpful. So I would think that to block or to identify somebody as a troll, for example, that that requires uh, some more in-depth analysis or Actually, I'm, re- I'm really curious if you were able thus far to identify the different type of harassers and like what actions you take to discourage and encourage like the bad day harasser to, to become more positive and completely discourage or block like a troll. I should be really clear that this category of functionality that I'm talking about, these are things we're discussing for our roadmap and these are not planned features. And we have not done the hard work of designing exactly how they're going to work yet. These are ideas that we want to get to once we work through the backlog. A sort of, this is hack week at GitHub. And during hack week, you can work on anything related to the platform, like any kind of unusual idea that you have or unique idea that you have that would improve the platform. And one of the things that I'm really interested in, because I've done some machine learning and some predictive analytics is um, currently we're very responsive. When someone reports abuse or reports a repo is spammy, that kicks in activity on our terms of service team to do an investigation. I would love to see us get to the point where we can identify when networks of bad actors are organizing or when a repository is being dogpiled with comments on an issue by zero-day accounts so that we can be more proactive in preventing abuse. So I'm really hoping that we're able to move to that sort of direction in the future. But I think one of the key things is it's very hard to predict um, what someone's going to do. We do have information on, you know, we have audit logs so we can see this person's been reported for spam three times or this person has violated terms of service in the past. And I would love to see us be able to use that kind of information to um, sort of proactively engage teams that can investigate, is something bad happening on GitHub, and do we need to take preventative action? I'm afraid that I kind of know the answer to this question already, but have you been able to discuss this with people who work at other kinds of social platforms to sort of share experiences, share techniques? Is there any kind of network of people working on this on different tools that, that are that are sharing information? Up until January, the answer would be no. The teams that do the kind of work that the community and safety team at GitHub do are very tight-lipped about the work they're doing. So consider Twitter, which has never gotten security and anti-harassment right. They're a terrible platform for a lot of reasons, but they're also an essential part of the social media landscape. And they're definitely a system that was not designed with security and anti-harassment in mind. But there are some very smart, very capable, and very dedicated people at Twitter who are working to to fix those problems. The thing is, people who do that kind of work, for political reasons, can't really talk about what they're doing and what they're trying, because anything that they say in public could be used as ammunition against the company, right? If they're struggling to interact with the product group in such a way that, you know, new features aren't being developed that are 
abuse vectors, and they can't talk about that struggle. So my boss, February Keeney, actually put together a sort of mini conference in January of this year to allow people who do the kind of work that we do to share their war stories and their best practices. Well, that sounds like it would have been really interesting. So can you say who showed up or can you not say who showed up? Actually, we don't even know who showed up. The rules for signing up were that you registered with your first name only, no company affiliation, and no company email address. And name tags were first name only. And we adopted what's called Chatham House Rules, which basically means that anything that is discussed can be repeated, but you can't say, Joanna said blah, 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 blah. So that nothing that is said or taken outside of that conference can be attributed to any person. And we thought that was absolutely critical for making people feel comfortable sharing things that might be politically damaging to their companies. So that was something that we, that we adopted. That was the idea early on. And I think that led to people opening up more than they would have under different circumstances. So without getting into specifics, then, do you feel like you guys learned stuff from each other? Or did it turn out to be effective? Yeah. I mean, it was the first attempt at, at such a gathering, so it was not perfect. But I think we definitely accomplished a lot of what we set out to accomplish, hearing things that were working as well as hearing things that were not working. And some of the discussions were sort of in the realm of UI UX and audiences and demographics and data collection. Some of them, too, are about architecture. One of the companies, and I, again, don't know which company it was, they have a service-based architecture, and they actually had a, ser a central service that everything went through to scan for harmful or harassing content. So it was relatively easy as a, a development team ramped up a new feature or a new service to integrate with that and use that as a filtering mechanism, which from an architecture perspective, you know, is like a really great idea. And I think that was pretty inspiring. So that's what happens when you build that tool in from the beginning. Well, this was something that they were rebuilding their platform to be service oriented. And they saw the need for a centralized service for that. So that was part of their refactoring effort. What do you feel like success looks like for you? Like what will make you feel in six months or a year that your team is uh, really being successful? The tagline for GitHub is social coding. And I think in the past, a lot of the emphasis has been on the coding part and not so much on the social part. So I do want to point out that my team is the community and safety team. So we're not solely focused on anti-harassment features. We also want to empower community leaders. We want to give them tools to help them better manage the communities that spring up around successful um, open source projects. So a lot of the work that we're doing um, or that we're going to be doing is giving them more tools for dealing with situations that arise in the day-to-day -day management of their communities. Like, for example? Let's say you have a repository and there's an argument going on in an issue. And for some reason, it is like triggering political reactions from people. One thing that we've seen happen is the creation of zero-day accounts. So someone creating an anonymous account simply to make a comment that cannot be traced back to them. So one way that we could help a project owner sort of manage that would be to say, okay, 
for the next 24 hours, I'm not going to allow posts from zero-day accounts. As an example. Right. Twitter has relatively recently rolled out something similar. Yeah, which is far from perfect, but a step in the right direction. So we don't want to be the culture police at GitHub. We want to put tools in the hands of the people who are managing communities to help them, like, set and enforce the values that they want for their open source projects. So I think success for us looks like um, reducing harassment factors. They can never be eliminated because harassers are by nature very, very clever and will use any tool at their disposal to harass someone. But we also want to make sure that people who are in positions of authority within the open source community, people who are leading projects, are able to manage their projects in an effective way without having to turn to the GitHub Terms of Service team for help. So creating some autonomy around those communities, I think, is really a driving goal for my team. So, and I understand the um, ideating on some of these new developments, and your team is pretty new. You have to go through the existing backlog before any feature enhancements or new features can be introduced. But have you tested or ideated at all around enabling the victims or potential victims to like mute certain words so they don't see them in the comments maybe or that they don't show up um like have you at least tested or iterated or any on any solutions just yet not at a user specific level now we have some discussions happening now around visibility of comments and flagging comments and making that more of a distributed um sort of effort but we haven't really looked at anything at the individual user level besides blocking. Okay. One thing that just came to mind just as I'm listening to you talk and, and as my brain is churning around ideas, but if there was some kind of a smart tagging feature that let's say somebody says a bad word um, and that person has been identified as, as a serial harasser, let's say, that that person would immediately get a response like like a gif of a cat or something something that's like hey you sound like you need a hug you sound you sound really bad you, it looks like you're gonna post something really bad here's a hug let's not do that like i just have all of these different ideas in my mind on how to make it not necessarily fun but how do you infuse it with that extra level of humanity but it's something for maybe something for down the road when your team is a little bigger and you can come up with some fun ways to fight this in a in a very positive way yeah, and we want the we want the experience to be positive. We don't want to drive anyone away from the platform. We want to make the platform useful and productive for everyone. And that includes people who are bad actors. We don't want them taking their bad behavior to a competitor. We want to, you know, sort of demonstrate to them that there are other ways and help them reform and help them become at first you know neutral com contributors and eventually people who are acting for the betterment of the platform as a whole so you're trying to you're, you're essentially you're trying to handle behavior and not people yeah exactly and i think that a lot of other companies are dealing with it from the people perspective so there's the ban hammer there's the timeout there are things like that and we're much more focused on the behavior because you can never hope to understand through software at least i don't think so who a person is all you can react to is what they do do you have any resources or uh, things for people to be able to take away 
to help bring these kinds of tools to their own projects. You know, you may not be developing Twitter or GitHub, but if you're developing a project where users interact, you have a potential for bad actors. Like, uh, do you have any sources for people who want to look at this from uh, your perspective and bring that to their projects? One of the things that my team is working on is a public document that will provide a checklist for engineers who are maybe not well-informed in this space that they can run through to sort of hit some of the low-hanging fruit in terms of considering um, whether a feature opens up a potential harassment factor. So that's something we're hoping to release this year as a general tool, as a general gift to the software development community, because not every company has the luxury of having a team like ours. And there are teams like ours that are struggling with questions like this. And, you know, my team plays a consulting role in the greater engineering organization, but there's some simple things that every engineer can do and can think about to improve the situation. So that's something that we're, that we're talking about. Also, GitHub recently released community guidelines, which include sections on best practices for managing open source communities. So there's a lot of good material in there in terms of, you know, encouraging positive interactions and modeling the sort of behavior that you want participants to engage in. So, you know, we are, we are trying to expand beyond the scope of just interactions on GitHub and be good citizens in the tech industry and sort of share those resources and share that knowledge. What an amazing opportunity to really uh, create something that can serve as a model to other corporations because usually uh, something drastic like this happens and then a really talented team comes up with a solution that ends up getting used and reused and iterated on in other industries and in other companies. So um, I can already tell this is going to yield amazing results, not just uh, you know for other companies, but just generally like for social good. That's the hope. Yeah. So um, I do have some recommendations. So how to uh, create personas when you think about creating personas. So there is a book. So at TableXI, we do lead user experience um, because we are uh, an agile agile team. And a book called Lean UX by Jeff Gutthelp is uh, something I would recommend. He actually does have a section in there around creating lean personas. If you're interested in learning or reading a little bit uh, more like in-depth on persona creation, there are some amazing articles that are shared by um, designers, UX designers on Smashing Magazine. If you just look up the tag persona, there's going to be a sleuth of of articles that are pretty high quality. UX Booth um, is a blog that I frequent uh, along with UX Mastery. Those two blogs are my go-to blogs when I need to brush up on a new technique or want to learn about new methods or even go to the basics about the methods that I'm that I have learned in the past. Uh, surprisingly, um, usability.gov um, has a really, really neat section. It's a government website, but all of the basics along with like some, um, there's a lot of basic material on there for those people who want to learn the techniques, along with some intermediate and advanced um, methods as well. Great. Thanks. I think that's all the time we have right now. Thanks to Coraline and Yana for being on the podcast. Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. You can find TableXI on Twitter at TableXI and me on Twitter at Noel Rapp. 
The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore. You can reach her on Twitter at DevReps. Tech Done Right can be found at techdoneright.io or downloaded via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. Coraline, if people want to reach you, what's the best way? Um, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at, at Coraline Ada, and you can learn more about the sort of things that I'm engaging in at where.coraline.codes. And Yana, if people want to talk to you more, where can they reach you? Uh, you are welcome to reach me on Twitter at Yana Karstens. Thank you. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences. You can find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right. Thanks, Caroline, and thanks, Yana.